starting from an early age in the sport and now only 25 years old, our guest today has already been through a lot in the sport of cycling. He is the current elite national criterium champion and was a driving force behind the genesis of the Best Buddies Racing Team, which is one of the strongest criterium racing teams in the USA at the moment. Hope you enjoy our chat today with Michael Hernandez on Bobby and Yetz. Michael Hernandez, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, I've been following you on social media for a while now, and it seems like you're all over the place these days. Where are you right now? Uh, right now, I'm with the team at the Intelligentsia Cup in Chicago. It's 10 days of crit racing, and uh, we are in the Trinity International University. Is a kind of host school dorm uh yeah, different kind of housing, but yeah, a dorm that we're we're staying in for the next eight days now. So for me as a European, are you racing every single day or every second day? It's another crit and a day off in between. Uh, historically, this race has uh, two rest days, but this year it's 10 days straight of racing. Ouch. So, <laughs> uh, it's like 13 hours of, of racing over 10 days. So it's 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 a lot of intensity, but not like, you know, the physical strain of, you know, five hours a day. Okay. Well, you know, obviously we, we have a lot to talk about here, but, uh, my main question is, you know, you were, you were born in Florida, you know, down in, um, Orlando. And what was your introduction into to cycling? I'm sure, you know, we all have our own stories, but I'd like to hear yours. So I do not come from a cycling family. Uh, nobody in my, nobody in my family rode bikes. My, my dad's a police officer. My mom was a teacher. My brother started swimming at the national training center in Claremont, uh, Claremont, Florida. Uh, and through that, he got into triathlons. And so as a little kid, I was, I was kind of on the overweight side, a little chubby kid. So started doing triathlons and realized I hated swimming for running unless I was running to or from something. I really didn't have any interest in running. So uh, the bike kind of just stuck and, uh, yeah, that one to another and stopped playing football, stopped playing baseball and just spent full time, you know, bike riding. So when was the first time you actually did pin a race number on your Jersey at what age? I was tw 12. Yeah. Uh, race age 13, uh, but 12 years old. Uh, yeah. So that was my first year, 2010. And then 2011 was probably the first year I'd say I took it like you know, I guess you're 13. So serious as a 13 year old can take it, uh, in the U S was my first year racing nationals and, uh, actually traveling outside of Florida to race. And you obviously started around the same time as me. And I remember I got to do my first European trip, uh, when I was 16. Uh, when did you, when did you get to that level where you were starting to, to travel over, you know, maybe with the national team, were you part of that national team, like with the Sittard house and the Belgium house? So yeah, I never, I never went to Isahim, um, but I did go to Sittard, but not until I was 17. So I went to Europe when I was 15, uh, with the trade team I was on, uh, Slipstream Craddock, which was connected to the Chipotle for solar program, um, it, by some third party, uh, which was a U23 program. So I rode for them for two years and went to Europe once with them. And then as a 17, 18, I rode for hot tubes, junior development, and I went to Europe with, uh, with Toby and through hot tubes a couple times. And then I also went over with the national team to race some UCI stuff and a couple of blocks. What did you remember first 
Or what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think back to these times? Like, what 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 is it that was different than in Europe than in your home country? The roads, the streets, the people, the food, the, the language, or whatever. <laughs> what is the first thing you? Oh, that was so weird. <laughs> Uh, the language. Yeah. I, I'd never met anybody that spoke Flemish before in, in America. You know, I'm from Florida. So Spanish, you hear a lot, you hear a little bit of French, but, uh, never anything remotely close to Flemish. So that was the first thing when it comes to racing that they, I remember was like, you know, in America, I think it's, it's weird that we have probably one of the biggest countries in terms of landmass and, the fewest, you know, you show up to any national level bike race, even at a pro level. And it's probably like 10 guys that could win that day. Uh, you show up to a local 15, 16, you know, newly in Kermes in Belgium and 50 newly in kids could win that day. It's, uh, it, the, the field is just so deep for how, how small of landmass, you know, compete in these events. And, and how crucial do you think your, time at that Sitard house was, uh, because, you know, we had Brendan Quirk on and, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out a way to kind of fire that whole thing up again, because it seemed like, you know, back in the, the mid 2010s, like you guys were going over there, you were getting exposure, you were getting experience. And then, you know, since the pandemic hit, it's like, they've had to kind of turn off the lights over there and we're trying to kickstart that again. How, how crucial do you think having that kind of home base over there was to your development and, and the other guys that you were there with? Yeah, no, I, I think that that time over there, and it's crazy because I think 2015 uh, was when Worlds was in the U.S. was kind of like the last year that they had really good funding for those programs. I think we threw a lot of money at that Richmond Worlds. So when I was there... 2015 and before as a junior, I would see these U23s that were there for months at a time. And, you know, they really got to fully embed themselves in that European racing culture. And then when I turned into U23, I would go over there for maybe two or three races and then have to fly back either, whether it's a funding thing, a staffing thing, whatever it was, we didn't have the resources to keep Americans over there. And personally, I, I feel like the more time you spent over there as an American, the more likely you were to, to make it and, you know, really make it to the world tour, which I think is, you know, any junior's dream. Uh, so without, without that exposure, I think it's, it's near impossible to, to make it to that level with only racing in America. Yeah. We, we talked to, um, <clears throat> the CEO of a U.S. Cycle, and he had similar, uh, um, views on it. Um, and he said, look, half of my job is finding sponsors. And I think that seems to be a big problem. The founding needs to be there. And then you gotta help the juniors to discover cycling, make him grow into you know under 23s, and then give him a chance, just like you said, give him a chance to go over to Europe. Because I guess I'm 100% on your side here. If you can spend two months over there, that gives you a lot of time for races, and you can show yourself. You can get used mm. to the rhythm of the race. You can maybe get some contact, talk to other teams. So I guess that would be a big bonus if there would be a little bit better founding. Well, and that, that's where I think, you know, I know a lot of the guys that were U23s, well, at the time I was juniors and, and a lot of them don't race bikes anymore. And I spent too much time in Europe as a U23. And I think that's kind of the point is if you do it, you know, a couple months at a time as a junior and you start learning, you know, how to get by that far from home, you know, away from your girlfriend, away from your family, 
when you're a U23 and you're like, okay, I'm trying to do this for a job. Like this is the career I want. It's, it kind of like, you're not, you're not just shocked by, you know, being over there and, and the culture isn't a shock. You're, you're kind of assimilated over in that culture already. And that makes that transition a lot easier. I think guys would go over there and get burnt out just because you know, they, they weren't ready for it. And, and there's the, and, or of like, you know, I think the national team approach, which is the approach I agree with is if you can't cut it there, you know, in, in the national team house where it's super Americanized, considered as a super Americanized city uh, in terms of like, you know, you don't have to speak Dutch to get by. Uh, you're going to have a really rough time uh, in, in the world tour or trying to live in Europe full time. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, um, I, I, I was lucky, you know, with Motorola, we had our like little band uh, of brothers up there in, in Como, Italy. And it was always, you know, yeah, you, you have some ups, you have some downs, you have some good days, you have some bad days. But, you know, when you have that kind of that click, that support system, like you guys had at that house, like we had up in Como with, with Dr. Dr. Testa, who kind of oversaw everything and kind of kept us, kept us sane and our feet on the ground and, you know, trimming off the peaks and filling in the valleys a little bit. It makes a, makes a big, 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 uh, difference when it comes to the longevity of, you know, especially young Americans and you hit the nail on the head being away from your, your family and your friends. It's, um, it's, it's quite difficult, but, um, so you kind of popped onto my radar when in the 2017 tour of California, um, it was a it was a world tour race at that time, but the the U.S. because it was you know the host country was able to put together like a national team, and you were a member of that. Tell us some of your memories of racing against you know Tade Pogachar. I mean, I think he won that year. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. you were very very active, especially in the first part of the race with the the KOM jersey and the most aggressive rider uh, number and and stuff like that. But yeah, how was it racing against the guy that? two-time winner of the Tour de France and, and all those other big names. The highlight of my, you know, cycling career, I guess, in terms of the race that I got to showcase myself, at. I got to do a press conference the day before the race. And I was sitting between Cavendish and Peter Sagan, who just, you know, Cavendish is kind of the reason that I, I pushed towards wanting to be a, you know, a pro cyclist. It was also cool that, you know, like a guy like Pojakar, like, you know, I, I've raced against him prior to that as, juniors and u23s and stuff like that so you know to see like it's it's cool to go to bike races and, and watch like the tour de france and see the guys winning stages and i'm like hey i beat that guy as a junior or in europe once and and things like that so it's cool that you know i'm in a my age range now is weird because cyclists like there's so many world tour cyclists now that are younger than me that I saw coming up in even American bike racing. And then there's all the guys that I still like that are still racing that I looked up to when I first started racing and they're all racing the same race. So that's, that was kind of cool in California and still now in other races I get to watch on TV. Talking about uh, racing, but you got to be racing today as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you going to go out for a little ride before or how, how was your plan for that? Actually it just crossed my mind. Uh, yeah, road. It's what time? I don't even know what time it is here. It's one fifty-two right now. We, we rode at like 10 AM this morning. So since the races get done a little late, we kind of sleep in, wake up, drink a coffee, go for a ride, come back, eat. And then, uh, yeah, just rest, catch up on some work and go race. So yeah, we, we got the ride in, in the morning and just about every morning we'll go for a ride. Maybe towards the end of the week, we'll, we'll stop that if we're a little too tired. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> yep, I'm with you. And talking about work now, um, tell us a little bit of, about the Best Buddies racing team. I mean, you were at the start of 2021 and maybe all the way through uh, kind of like the rider manager of the team from what I saw at least. How did the team start? And tell us a little bit about the organization Best Buddies. So, yeah, I, I started going down to Miami in September of 2020. Uh, just I you know, was trying to figure out what I was going to do next with my life and uh, have some friends that live down there like, dude, just come down here, hang out for a couple of weeks and get some bike riding in. And they race all year round in Miami. So I went down there and started doing some racing. It was kind of right as COVID was like escaping. Well, Florida never really went through COVID the same way as everywhere else, but uh, you know, we started getting public outings back, I guess, uh, in bike races. So went down there to, to just start racing. And I ran into Anthony Shriver, the founder of best buddies out on Key Biscayne. And he started to hear, you know, that I used to race, you know, semi-professionally. And then, uh, you know, I was reigning U23 national champion at the time, uh, in crits. And so he, you know, asked me just, you know, if I thought bike racing was a viable way to raise funds and spread awareness for best buddies and he had very little knowledge of what bike racing was outside of the tour de France. So, uh, you know, I told him that, you know, if we right now, the state of American bike racing, that if we were going to do that, that the only, the only, you know, races that really get any serious coverage in America is, is the crit racing. So, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he said, well, what do we need to do that finances, people, things like that. And so I told him that we had to make, if we wanted to do it right and do it well in our first year, we needed names to draw attention. So it just so happened that Travis McCabe moved to Orlando as I was moving out of Orlando area. So, uh, he was the first person I contacted. Uh, so he, he said he'd be game to start racing crits again. He was still reigning pro national champ crit champ at the time. So, uh, once I got Travis, it was pretty easy to get, you know, Marcotte and some of these other guys to sign up because just, you know, anybody from that, that time in America liked racing with Travis just cause they knew he, he brought, you know, an extra little bit of drive to the team. But yeah, at, at the time I was, you know, managing racing and kind of doing more or less everything with the help of Richard freeze, um, just getting everything rolling. So it was, uh, it was a good first year. We, we weren't, you know, we weren't the best team on the block, but we, uh, we were definitely competitive. Uh, and yeah, that, that first year led to, you know, what we're doing this year is, you know, next level. And I, I credit a lot of that to, to Craven coming in to let me kind of free up my hands on, on just focusing on the racing and a little more at race stuff. So he's taken over so much of the logistics, but, yeah, that first year, just with all those guys, it, it drew so much attention from younger talent that wanted to be a part of this. And and this year we have that perfect mix of like older guys with experience with the younger eagerness of, of some of these young guys that are, you know, willing to put it down in a corner. <laughs> they heal a little faster than the guys that were on the edge of retirement. So let me get this straight. You were racing, recruiting, doing the logistical side and obviously you you have your own life as well so you were you were a pretty busy dude during that time i mean how how were you able to kind of fit all that stuff in and then still keep the the mental and physical conditioning necessary for for racing 
Well, the, the mental side definitely started to go out the window. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to throw that away, but, uh, no, it, it was a lot. Like I realized that, you know, it's, it's a weird dichotomy when, you know, your teammates look at you as, you know, their quote unquote boss. I, I knew for us to race well, we had to have good chemistry and, and you can't, you can't joke around with the guy that you feel like, Oh, I need to watch what I say around him. He's, you know, he's, he's my boss or whatever. And, uh, so I tried, you know, I, I, that was the whole reason on wanting to bring Craven on it wasn't as much the workload as much as, you know, the relationship with the guys on the team that I, I needed to keep intact and super positive. So, uh, you know, that was, uh, that, that was, a, that was probably the hardest part of it is just like balancing when I had to, you know, which hat to wear at what time. And so for our listeners uh, to better understand, in your first year, how many people did you have on your team? How many riders? How many cars or bikes? Or did you have a full-time mechanic? Or did you do that all by yourself? How, how, was the how was the team looking, like in terms of numbers and how many people, how many support for the first year? Uh, so, yeah, in terms of support, we were, we were trying to scrape by as best we could. BMC came on and gave uh, anybody that needed a bike a bike. A couple of our guys had self sponsorship. Uh, they were they were kind of starting the privateer gravel stuff. So because of how late we were to the party, this team, the idea of this team came in November of 2020, and our first race was in January, January 2nd of 2021. So we had very little turnaround time to pick up any any sort of support really at all. And then, so your your daily schedule back then, were you um, training or more doing logistics or calling people, organizing, or did you actually have time to train or you squeezed all in the 24 hours? Yes, I, I, I guess I didn't sleep much in those times because, uh, you know, Miami is a weird beast where the group rides uh, start at, oof, they start at six, six or 6.30 in the morning. So I would, you know, get up, probably do a group ride, maybe add a little bit of time after and uh, probably be off the bike around 10. And from 10 to probably four or five, I would be full on uh, looking for new supporters, uh, trying to finish, you know, pulling out a roster that is at least, you know, com competitive at a, a top American crit level. And uh, yeah, so once once I had the roster down, it was like, you know, I was trying to check things off the to-do list and trying to get them compartmentalized as much as I could. And and then and through all that, I also, you know, have job responsibilities inside of Best Buddies for our challenge rides as well. So uh, that was another piece of the puzzle that I had to fit in there. So that, but a lot of that stuff is, is rider recruitment, which was the main reason I do all the group rides in Miami is to try to recruit local riders. They tend to be some of the the i guess you could call it low-hanging fruit of uh of what we do with best buddies because our main event is in miami itself yeah and talking a little bit about best buddies uh best buddies is an international nonprofit 501c organization dedicated to establishing a global volunteer movement that creates opportunities for one-to-one -one friendships integrated employment leadership development and inclusive living for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, it's a fantastic organization. I've done a lot of work uh, dating back to 2008. Um, I, I got to go to the, the Hearst Castle ride. I've got to do pretty much, I think, all of the events um, that, that you guys have had. But tell us a little bit about the organization itself and especially about the, the Miami ride, the, the California ride, all your different events that you do. 
Yeah. So outside of the racing team, and I guess at the end of the day, the racing team is a marketing tool to raise money through those rides. And we want to try to push as many people in, in each of the team, you know, their team riders inner circle to those events and best buddies international through our best buddies challenges run three challenge rides a year and four camps. All three of those rides are very different. Uh, and the price point of entry is very different. Miami is our, uh, it's our prom date. It's the, it's the girl we dress up and, uh, you know, we don't hold, we don't hold anything back for that one. That's, uh, it is a $10,000 donation to, and, uh, which fundraised write a check however somebody wants to to enter but you also get the miami gala in that which is the thursday night uh it's one of the biggest parties in miami you know not just in cycling but it's it's not only for cyclists uh and it's just it's a crazy time but uh you get that and then the next day the miami challenge which is a full police escorted uh you don't have to stop at any red lights because we have you know over 50 police officers on motorcycles shutting down the streets of downtown miami miami beach keep a skein. It's an experience that outside of racing, you know, something like tour California, I've never experienced riding through a big city, uh, like that with full, full ability to use any of the roads you want. So that that's one of the, the coolest experiences. Somebody that's not a world tour cyclist can probably have on two wheels. Uh, the, the Hearst castle ride is probably, I would consider it the most challenging ride that we have because of the terrain of where it takes place. It's, uh, that one is a little different from Miami. It's a $5,000 buy-in to participate in that ride. Um, but most of it is based on teams and corporate sponsors that, you know, raise teams to then participate in the ride. And there's, you know, awards for, you know, the winner. It's, it's a little more of a, you know, quote unquote race or team relay. However, that can be structured, but it also in a friendly, inclusive way. And then our Hyannis port ride is more of a grand fondo of there's, you know, there's a walk, there's a run, there's, uh, so many different from, you can go run a 5k or you can go ride a hundred miles and anything in between, uh, to, to just be a part of it. It's also the lowest point of entry for one of our events, which is $1,600 donation. Um, and yeah, and so, and that always ends with a giant party, uh, usually a concert and uh, guy fury cooking lobster at the end of it. So, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and I always tell people it's, it's a high point of entry to get into our rides, uh, for compared to most, uh, charity rides, but you get every dollar you pay. And, and you, when you add on top of that, what you're raising money for, I, I, I think you're, you're getting a product more or less for free. And then to differ from those, we have our, our camps. We run two camps in Malibu, uh, one camp in Asheville, and we did one in Sonoma this year. And those camps are five days long and the most exclusive, inclusive experience you can imagine. Uh, our camp in Sonoma, we were just there in May and we, we had the entire, uh, farmhouse in rented out for the camp. And it was just, you know, it's five days of pure luxury with some of the coolest and hardest riding of, you know, we, we bring coaches and, and riders from the race team, like myself to the, to the camp, to go push the campers. You know, our goal is to push them beyond the level where they think they can ride. Um, but keeping them in a safe, you know, guided environment and experiencing something that they otherwise would not be able to have. And then you finish the ride and you're living in luxury. So, uh, you know, you get, you get to go beat yourself down and then kind of experience what it's like to yeah, be at a world tour race where you go, you go race and, you know, five hours on the bike and come back and you're in full relaxation mode. Granted, I think they drank a little more wine than what 
bike racers probably drink after a stage of a race, but it, it, those are probably my favorite thing that we do in terms of, uh, the relationships people build in, between the campers themselves, uh, you know, during those five days is pretty awesome to watch. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton Magazine, exclusive membership content from bellenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. Now back to our chat with Michael. Tricky question for you. If you would have a $10 million tomorrow, would you rather bring the Tour of California back to life or would you give it to the Best Buddies organization for some of their projects? <laughs> I know it's a difficult question. <laughs> That is a big question, but I know Anthony Shriver and I know if I brought him $10 million, he would want to put that uh, some money of that into some sort of cycling event. So I, I would definitely trust Anthony with that money. Uh, he, he's been really good to me with, with best buddies racing and, and showed me that he actually cares about, he has a love for what he does with the buddies themselves at best buddies and, you know, cycling, cycling is a passion of Anthony's, but the buddies are the, the main passion And he has found a really cool way to be able to mix the two to then greater enhance what he does with the buddies and what he's able to do for the buddies. You know, for me personally, like that's the coolest thing that we do with best buddies racing is we bring buddies to events and be able to compete in front of, you know, in front of the charity and the cause that we're actually racing for is the coolest thing we do all year. And, you know, I think Bobby got to see that at, at Athens was, you know, we won the race. Uh, and then as soon as we win, uh, we had one buddy there, Noah, he got to come up on the podium with us. We, we gave him the winner's trophy and, you know, that's, that's something that for a buddy, they're going to remember forever. And, you know, for us, at the, I think at the end of the day, like bike racing is, it's cool, but what, what we're doing is, is greater than sport and being able to share that with people and share that with your teammates just increases the level of camaraderie we have on the team and, and really the mission of what we're doing. It really, pushes that out. And, and I find that so, so true. And, you know, so many of you guys, I mean, what you're 25 years old and, and you're, you're doing this and you're, 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 you're exposing the sport and, and the buddies in, in such a great way. And, you know, inclusivity is one of the, the pillars of, of best buddies and seeing you guys around the buddies is, is just great. I mean, You know, like you said, it's just a bike race, but, you know, if you can turn it into to something else, raising awareness and funds for your organization, you know, more, more power to you. 
But now you have Thomas Craven, who is a very, very close friend of mine. He was a very influential person in my career back when I raced on the Chevrolet LA Sheriff team in 1994. And just a, a brief little kind of story that I don't know if I've ever told him or um, told told the public was I didn't make the Olympics in 1992. And um, all of a sudden, I was like kicked out of the Olympic Training Center. I signed for a team um, to race professional the next year. That team folded. Uh, I had to spend my emergency college money on racing the next year. And I made it probably until July before I just totally cracked. And um, went to the Vegas Bike Show, ran into a gentleman named Dave Latiri, who was the manager of Chevrolet LA Sheriffs, and um, Sheriff Christofferson also. And uh, they offered me a, a very low stipend per month to, to race in 1994. And it was the lifeline that I needed, right? Like, you know, Lance and George went on to Motorola, and here I was racing in a nondescript jersey in, in America, paying my own way. And I ran out of money, but like these guys offered me a lifeline. But one at one of our first training camps, um, I realized that, oh my gosh, I'm on a team with guys talking about diaper genies and washing machines and refrigerators, you know, things that they would spend their money on when, you know, if they won a, a criterium or some prize money. And that was a big change from, you know, the juniors, you know, under 23s, whatever, you know, young guys that I was with, like Lance and George, you know, we were talking about cars and girls and clothes. And and it was one of those real pivotal moments where I was like, you know, Bobby, it's time to grow up. And Thomas Craven and Jim Copeland kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, hey, hotshot junior, hotshot amateur, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have to cut your teeth here. And they they showed me a way of looking at cycling in a totally different way. I mean, I, I needed to mature and, and Thomas was right there, you know, at the forefront along with Jim Copeland. I mean, the list goes on Malcolm Elliott, Jeff Pierce, Steve Haig. Um, I hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but I probably am, but he, he was super influential. And then he also took over the, the Hincapie racing team and, and turned it into a, a powerhouse until, you know, that, that ended. But what does Thomas Craven bring to the table for for Best Buddies Racing? Craven is, like you just said, he, he's a guy that can hold many hats. And for me, the, the biggest help he is personally is his organizational ability. Like that guy, you know, we were booking flights last year. You know, oh, we got, we got to fly there in four days. Like, oh, crap, I, I might have forgot to get so-and-so's flight or he didn't tell me that he could make the race and now all of a sudden he can. And Craven just doesn't play by those rules. He's He's very much, you know, we have this planned out three months in advance, you know, two months in advance, whatever it is, but it's, a, there's always a plan. It's organized. He has it all, you know, he dots all those I's and crosses his T's a lot better than I do. And, and the fact he's been around the circuit for so many years, uh, you know, every race we go to, he's either done it, won it, or he's been there. He's either won it himself, won it with Hinkapi, whatever it is. So he, he knows how this circuit goes, even if it's a little different than when he was racing himself but he's not that far removed from the sport through Hincapie that he doesn't know, you know, just about anything we're doing. You know, his organizational skills is, is crazy for me. And, and it's something I've learned a lot from, you know, just being in, in a management position even. So, uh, you know, that's my biggest gratitude. And then in the race, you know, he, he's, he's also one of the best directors in the U S so, uh, you know, I, I like to look at cycling as a chess game 
and he's he's a really good player at it you know he understands you know he understands you know how the guys race you know he, he's either directed most of them or raced against them or whatever it is so like he knows how their brains work so you know having that insight into somebody i think gives us a little bit extra edge so now it uh, looks like you do a lot of crits um, we talked a lot about crit racing is there any other races on your schedule gravel or road races or mountain biking any any different or you just focus 100 on the crits The team is, I would say, 98% focused on crit racing. It's mainly just because we have probably 98% of crit racing in America. Uh, we don't have many road racing opportunities. We did race the Joe Martin stage race earlier this year. Um, we did pretty bad in the, in the road. They just turned around and won the crit. So uh, that was that was positive. Uh And then in the beginning of the year, we went down to the Dominican and raced Vuelta Independencia, which was five, no, I'm sorry, seven days of 200K a day, which we all thought we were going to go there and get, you know, just totally obliterated. But uh, for the first five days, I think our worst result was second place. We were the first or second in the first five days with three different guys. And so that was just a giant, you know, confidence boost for us coming into the crits. We're like, well, we got three guys that can win a stage of, of a 200k race and i think we'll do okay in these crits so uh so yeah so most of it's crit racing we went down to panama and raced also so we did a little we dabbled a little bit in south america and central america but uh but yeah i'd say the the majority of it is crit racing and crit racing has has changed a lot since uh you know i used to do you know one or two on a weekend and you know there's a the big boy in town was is may still be legion of la and like you said this team only got off the ground in 2021 and in 2022 um i got to witness it personally down at the athens twilight criterium there there you you guys are right there and when two it's when two trains collide together um sometimes there's there's tension and we may have seen Uh, something that that popped up, you know, a couple weeks ago in Salt Lake City, which I don't want to talk about the specifics of that. But with crit racing, how do you see it going from the outside? I I see it very very competitive, and you know what happened in in Salt Lake City seemed to be inevitable. What do you think that you can uh, communicate to our listeners about the way that? that criterium racing is right now and maybe some some changes in in the way that people are racing their bikes on these on these late night criteriums yeah so i started racing pro crits when i was 17 uh you know i was still a junior but they they let us race the the pro one stuff if we were a cat one so there's that could be relatively competitive in these races Uh, at the time, uh, I'm sure after there, if people had, you know, Quinn Simmons had the want to go race a pro crit as a junior, he probably could have smashed it. But, uh, the big thing I noticed at the time that was still during the time of UHC and rally and Hincapie, there was so many teams that all had somebody that they believe could win. And I think United healthcare definitely had, you know, arguably the best lead out train, but they didn't always have the fastest sprinter. That was still the time of uh, Daniel Holloway when he was, you know, winning everything in 2014 and 2015. But there were so many teams that 
made a race competitive from a different way. The races were so fast. They were so, they, they were faster than they are now, but they were way more controlled. Uh, I think now that there's a, such a lack of teams that, you know, in the top two teams, uh, I think you have to be kind of blind to racing. If you don't think that it's best buddies racing in Legion of Los Angeles right now, uh, or just on, you know, whether it be from support, uh, you know, we're probably the two only two of the only teams that pay our riders at this level, uh, probably Miami Blazers get paid as well, but, uh, we can afford to, to, you know, buy the better riders for lack of a better term. And so have two teams that are just head to head without much of a third party or fourth party really going at it with them. I think it just builds that tension of you can control and you can control. So, you know, we have, we can win the sprint, you can win the sprint, but since there's not a, a whole field of people and kind of what we were talking about earlier, just that depth in the field itself is not really there right now in the U S I think that's just, it's caused, yeah, it's caused a lot of tension between riders and, and not only between us and Legion it trickles down throughout the whole field of, you know, there's definitely a possibility to go better. I think it's entertaining this year compared to last year to watch um, from the racing itself. I think it's been pretty fun to watch. I know, you know, the amount of people that reached out to us after we won Athens and then after we won Tulsa, just to say, you know, like, that's one of the best bike races we've seen in America in, in years. And, and I agree with that at, at post COVID, you know, we just haven't had, yeah, a lot of teams went away. A lot of racers went away. And so either there needs to be a level, a more level playing field for racers to get in into. Uh, I think there needs to be some harder bike races and to go into a direction that, you know, a team can't control the race and give these guys that are individually really strong racers without the team to support them a chance to also be competitive. Because when you take the team out of it and almost like a Belgian Kermesse where there's technically not supposed to be teamwork in a, in a amateur Kermesse, you know, that kind of, it changes the game of like, okay, well, if nobody's controlling, it kind of opens up the door to, you know, there's a lot more possible winners. And so I think that that is where, bike racing could go. I don't know if that's the answer is just harder bike races, but I think it's a step of, you know, flat four corner crits can are only so fun to watch. So and they're only so fun to do. We did one last night and I was terrified the whole time. So what are you saying with crit racing is more or less the only racing left in the US? It's more important because nothing else there. Is there more pressure on the riders, on the teams to perform? And does the business gotten a little more rough in the last years or was it always the same like today? Or is there more elbows, more shoulder touching than before? I can't speak to before I was racing, but I would say that there is more rubbing in the back of the field and there's been a lot more crashes because we're going through corners eight wide, six wide through these corners instead of single file. You know, I remember being, a, granted, I was a junior, so it might have fell a lot faster than we were going. But I remember with 15 laps to go, as soon as United Healthcare hit the front, like you're not moving up. Like that's, that's where, where, when they hit the front, like you are where you're going to be until the last lap. And so, uh, you know, we, we don't have... There's, there's not, and obviously there's, there's a bunch of factors that play into that. You used to be able to race with eight guys. Now you can only race with six. So you had a couple more teammates to, to burn through. And, uh, you know, there was a lot more money in the crits as well. You used to have like races like coconut Grove. That was a hundred thousand dollar criterium. And, uh, I think Charlotte was another one that was a hundred thousand. And so you could actually make some money racing crits, uh, you know, even probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, those races were still happening. So, 
uh, yeah, there's, there, I think there's a lot less resources in crit racing these days, or those resources are being pushed towards other things. You know, there's a lot more live streaming now than there was probably, uh, 10, 15 years ago. And so, you know, th those things cost money. And so, you know, I, I, that was part of the reason we wanted to pay our riders is I, I didn't want a team that was out racing for prize money. I think it makes people a little more desperate in races and that can cause some, you know, silly crashes and dangerous situations when, uh, you know, that, that prize money check is what is going to get you to the next bike race. And talking about the next bike race, uh, you said you're at the Intelligentsia Cup now. What is left on the schedule for the rest of the year? And is it primarily criteriums still, or does it change a little bit? So the only, the I think the only road race left in the U.S. that's not a full amateur event is the uh, Maryland Cycling Classic. That's the only UCI race left in America um, that hasn't already happened. And because it's a point one, our team is not professional, so we're not eligible to do it. Um, so our team is fully focused on the American Credit Cup this year. Um, before Alfredo broke his collarbone in Boise, he was leading that by a pretty good margin. But, um, you know, crashes happened. It took him out of the lead. Uh, we'll see what his next race is, but yeah, uh, we're still fully focused on that American credit cup and, uh, winning the team overall. And that, I think we still have a lead in that, uh, the next one is here is at intelligentsia. Uh, so we'll go through that. And then the week after that, we go to Littleton, uh, Littleton, Colorado is the next one. Uh, there's one in Indianapolis and then the gateway cup is, uh, the last race of the series and then the last race for the team will be Winston-Salem, which Winston-Salem is also just a crit, a crit now. It used to be a crit in a road race, but that road race went away as well. A totally different non-bike related question coming from Orlando. I was there on a family holiday. Did you ever go to SeaWorld and Disney World and all that or like living there you go, nah, that's just for tourists? Oh, no, that's uh, that was a very... My, my grandpa worked at Disney world for 27 years. So, uh, when, yeah, when, when you work there that long, you get a, you get a family pass for life. So, uh, you know, we would go to Disney whew, maybe 10, 10 times a year. Uh, he could get us all in for free. So we, we would uh, spend a lot of time there, especially when I was younger. And then my dad being a police officer, he worked at uh, universal as security. And so when you get a little older, universal studios is kind of the, the, uh, the, uh, the grown up Disney. So, uh, we go ride the roller coasters there and, uh, I still go frequent Halloween horror nights. That's, uh, that's a, my fun off season hobby is going, going in with, uh, with my fiance and it's fun watching her get scared at, at Halloween horror nights. So fantastic. Thanks. Well, Michael, uh, you have a race to get ready for. So, uh, put your legs back up on the wall, do the little self massage, take a nap, relax, get some good food in. And uh, thank you so much for coming on, Bobby and Jens, today. We, we really appreciate you fitting us into your tight schedule. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time. Seriously, it means a lot. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thank you to Michael for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Bella News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. <laughs>